This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hi, LSPod fans. It's JR here. Burt's Babes, Hoddle's Heroes, even Decanio's Dozens. We've had some iconic lineups in our history at Swindon, just like the legendary menu at McDonald's. Parkin' or Austin? Sweet curry or barbecue? Why not get a McNugget share box to enjoy the debates with your mates? And thanks to book delivery, every drop-off can be a home win. Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points too. No one wants to drop points at home, and with tasty rewards to earn, you won't be missing out. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hello and welcome to The Lobe Strangers, a Swindon Town fan podcast with me, Rich Pullen. Rogers is streaking ahead and he's onside. Beautiful play! That is that! What a good shot! Hello and welcome to the Low Strangers podcast. Thanks, as always, for listening. My guest for this episode is David Budgie Byrne. David guides me through his career from being a schoolboy at Brentford to his background in non-league, then his playing career in the Football League, most notably with Millwall, then on to Scotland and not forgetting a short summer with Tottenham Hotspur. We then move on to David's coaching career with, of course, a focus on Swindon Town. David worked within youth and development. He was caretaker manager twice and also assistant manager twice under Morris Malpass and Danny Wilson. It was great listening to David, who frankly speaks his mind. So be warned, there are some examples of colourful language included and a few bits have been censored out as well. My thanks to David for his honest insight to the world of English football. It was fantastic to listen to. So it's time to sell the hooter for the Low Strangers podcast. Enjoy. David, thank you for joining me. Uh, pleasure. Who did you support when you were growing up? Well, I, I, as a schoolboy, you know, from a young age, I was at Brentford as a schoolboy. So I would say probably Brentford was my schoolboy team. Mm-hmm. And who were your heroes growing up, Brentford and beyond? Oh, players like um, Peter Gelson, uh, John O'Mara, Alan Mansley, 
you know, they were the players that I can re remember playing, you know, for Brentford when I used to bunk in, jump in the fence and go and watch them play. Growing up in London, did you get the opportunity to watch any other teams or were you just all for yeah, Brentford? Yeah, a few times I used to go to Chelsea and watch them play. A couple of my mates were Chelsea supporters. So every now and then I remember going to Nottingham Forest to watch them play and a running battle between Forest supporters and Chelsea supporters and, you know, people getting thrown off the Trent Bridge and, oh, it was an absolute nightmare. So I never, ever went again to an away fixture. Uh, for Chelsea, I just just continue to really just go and watch Brentford and you know playing in the scoreboard team. Chelsea having run-ins with people, I'm shocked to the core. Yeah, it's just <laughs> so unlike them, so unlike them. <laughs> Shed, as they used to call it. Sort of pathway to Brentford schoolboys. I think that that all came about as I, I don't think it's any different now. Mm -hmm. You know, when you play for the borough, I play for Hounslow, and then. Um, played in the county sides and things like that so you always get the local talent spotter uh, going to all these games and I can't remember who the game was against it was a county game that we played and then this this guy came over and just said look you know I'm working for Brentford you know I'd like to invite you in and it all stemmed from there mm -hmm. I was there for about three years I was there from about 12 to about 14 no uh, 14 15 yeah, yeah just coming up on 15 and then from there I used to enjoy playing rugby and when I left school, you know, because I, I was quite, I was a better rugby player than I was a footballer at school, and I played at England schoolboy level. Oh, wow. But I was very, very sporty. You know, I was a sporty person. I, I represented the school in every sport. I think. You know, was there any chance of progressing within rugby? No, I couldn't. Hand, I couldn't handle the social life. Your first five years or so as a senior is in non-league with sides like Harrow Borough, Hayes, Hounslow, and Kingstonian. Yeah. What were your yeah, yeah. What were your experiences of non-league football? Well, it was really you know I've gone from playing like Sunday league, you know, with obviously there was football in the family with Jerry Francis. You know, he's my he's related, oh. and um, and Jerry's dad and his brother Martin. Martin's my brother-in-law. Mm -hmm. um, he just said to me one day, he said, why don't you come down and have a game with us on a Sunday for a club called Chiswick Albion? So I ended up going and playing for Chiswick Albion. And his dad then started saying, listen, you you need to step up the ladder. So, and that's where it all started. I went to Hounslow Town and then my first club was Southall. And then I went to Harrowborough. And then from Harrowborough, I went to Hounslow Town, Hounslow Town on the Kingstonians. And it was at Kingstonians where... It all started to kick off. I played with, you know, um, Chris Kelly. You remember him, the old leatherhead lip? And that's uh, it. That's in the Isthmian. That was in the Isthmian League. Yeah. yeah. But me and Chris just set the whole league alight. You know, we were week in, week out. We were terrorising teams like between us. And um, and then Ted Buxton, who was working for Gillingham at the time, and Keith Peacock, he'd been to watch a couple of times. And then um, he somehow got hold of my number. And then he called me. He just said, look, would you be interested? And I said, <laughs> I don't know. You know, I was um, I was a marine engineer. I'd just been I was working in a factory as a marine, working on a lathe, and you know, doing all the cutting, tool cutting, and things like that. And I needed to get out. I, it, it wasn't something that I really enjoyed, and so I thought, right, I'll give it a go. So I ended up going to Gillingham. They offered five grand for me. Billy Miller, who was the manager, was desperate to keep hold of me, and he just said, "But listen." I've never been one for standing in anyone's way. I ended up having a real good relationship with Billy. You know, he came to my wedding and, you know, we become real good friends. And But in the end, he said, listen, it's an opportunity that you've got to take. I was 21, 22 at the time. And he just said, listen, you're you asking that question, you know, what if I'd have done this or what if I'd have done that? So I ended up going. They paid five grand for me. My first training session um, at Gillingham. I'm sitting in the dressing room. 
Derek Howes walks in. He just turned around, he looked at me in the eyes, and he went, and who the fuck are you? And that was, you know, that was my um, my introduction to professional football in a, in a first-team dressing room. And then, obviously, you know, we had a decent little squad of players there. Myself, Cascarino, um, Terry Cochran, Derek Hales, Carl Elsie, Russell Musker, uh, Mark Weatherly. You know, we had a real good John Sitton. You know the mm. lunatic from Orient. Yeah. Um, you know, so we had a we, we had a good little squad of players, and and I really enjoyed it. And I took to it like a duck to water. Were you aware that Ginningham had quite a rivalry with Swindon at that time? No, I had no inclination as to rivalries in football. I didn't. You know, yeah. I knew about sort of Tottenham Arsenal and things like that. The Tottenham Arsenal, yeah. yeah. But I never knew too much about the West Ham Millwall and all of that because yeah. I was ne- it was never something that interested me. You know, I loved playing football. I yeah. was playing. You know, I used to sleep with the ball in you know in my arms in bed. But yeah. you know, I'd done everything off my own back. I was never coached. I was never taught. Everything I'd done in you know in my, in my sporting um, life was done off my own back. My dad was like my brother. He was one of my best best mates, but he was never interested. You know. Yeah. Never, you know, he was, he, listen, he was, an, you know, he was an Irishman that worked at Fuller's Brewery. You know, he said to me, he said, I'm just put on this earth to look after your mother. That was my dad. Hmm. But as things started to go, you know, to that next level, and then he sort of started seeing me playing on television and things like that. And now all his mates are saying, hey, did you see your boy on the team? You know, all of a sudden he's now thinking, he's made it. The boy's done well, you know, the boy's done good sort of thing, you know. And then all of a sudden. He come to watch me two or three times, which was never in his, you know, yeah. never in his diary to do. But I mean, that's a good thing, though, right? Oh yeah, I mean, listen, he always said, I, you know, he was proud of my achievements because I'd actually done it off, you know, myself. I had no, I didn't have anyone giving me a leg up or anyway, you know, I'd done it through sheer hard work. Yeah. What was the transition from non-league to football league like? I was fine, mm. you know. I mean, I, I was probably one of the quickest players in the league at the time. So that was an asset that I had that used to get me out of trouble, used to get me into trouble a bit as well, you know. But, um, you know, so I I had an asset that I knew if I used it properly and listened to, you know, the tactical side of the game, how to work a fullback. Keith Peacock was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. He just taught me how to play the game as an individual, you know, within the unit of the team, Mm. within the team. So he taught me how to be a right winger across the midfield for Gillingham. And he was a bit of a winger himself. So it was the perfect match for me to go, you know, and and have someone, you know, it's like if you're a centre-back and you go and sign for somebody and uh, like Sam Allardyce, he was a centre-back. So you, you feel a connection because you know he's been there, he's been in the shoes, he knows exactly what you're going through when you're having a good game, a bad game or whatever. So I had that connection with Keith. It was just... A shame that it only lasted sort of just over a year. Yeah. But through no fault of my own, I went into Gillingham. I played thirty odd games, and then Millwall came in and made an offer for me. Yeah, it's, I think it's is it John Doherty that that takes you to Millwall. What had happened is I got him. We played Brentford at Griffin Park, and I absolutely terrorised their left back. And John Doherty said to me when he signed me, he said, "I've never ever seen anyone give the, the left back um, the drubbing that you gave him." He said, because normally you only go past him once and then he'll give you a right hand, a stick you in the stand, or he'll wait for you in the tunnel at half-time and kick the fuck out of you. Mm-hmm. boy called um, Jamie, I can't think of his name, um, but I gave him an absolute torrid time. And, and then that's when John left um, Brentford and went to Millwall. And I was 
Doc's first signing. Yeah, he's just come in just to... He's just replaced George Graham, hasn't he? And um, I've talked to a fair few people about Millwall over the last few podcasts. Forget about all the outside-the-ground sort of stuff. The old den, it was notorious for both players for Millwall and against Millwall. What were your experiences there? Ah, listen, I mean... I love the place. It was absolutely brilliant. It was the best four and a half years of my career, mm. simply because we won the old second division. But oh, I could tell you stories that make your hair stand on end. I really could. Um, you could tell me one if you want. Well, I was playing against Millwall, uh, against Middlesbrough, and we won 2 0. Cascarino and Briley scored. I set both goals up, got man of the match. But during the game, I was playing in like wide and the ball had gone out for throwing. I've gone to pick the ball up and I heard this, like, um, you know, the old um, chain link fencing? Yeah. And I just heard, and I looked, turned around and looked up and there was this bloke. He must have been about 55, 60 years of age with a big beard and he was holding a cutthroat razor. And he turned around, he, he said to me, Burn, he said, if you don't fucking pull your finger out, he said, I'm going to fucking cut you to slut. You know, he's giving me the... Uh... So in the end, I'm thinking, fucking, I'd only been there about, I don't know, three or four months. So I've taken the throw in and I shouted over to Jimmy Carter to swap wings. So I went over the other side for five or ten minutes yeah. just to get away from this idiot. Well, he's, a, he's walked around the ground. <laughs> He walked around the other side and he shouted over, Burn, do you think you can get rid of me that easily, you fucking idiot, he said. <laughs> so um, that was that was one of the... Well, after the game, I said to Terry Erlock, tell you that I walk back to the car park with me just in case this fucking idiot's waiting outside. <laughs> did you did you uh, pull your socks up? I got man of the mat. <laughs> well, he did his bit I then. I was man of the mat. I set up both goals. I'd go back there and do Q&A with Jimmy because he works in the... You know, he's an ambassador for the club in, in, in the lounges and is things that, like that. Is that Jimmy Carter? Yeah, but yeah. it's the mentality of the supporters. You've got to understand, as a player, you've got to be a certain type of player. People say to me, oh, yeah. Millwall coming for me and I'm thinking Fuck it. You, if you go to Millwall you will last about two minutes mm. if you haven't got that inner strength and mentality forget it absolutely 100% forget it when the right team comes to town they're right up for it you know whether it, if it's a Leeds or West Ham uh, Nottingham Forest or Cardiff you know that there's going to be trouble but you're a decent team as well, as you mentioned, Jimmy oh. Carter. You've got Teddy Sheringham and Tony Cascarino up front. And, of course, you've got Terry Herlock, who's no who's no fool at the back. And you win the title. Sure, you're not getting as many minutes in your final season. Well, I was there, injured. But, yeah. I, got, I was injured. I tore a thigh muscle. I, I, I think I played 25 games in the promotion year. Yeah. And then I tore a thigh muscle, which kept me out for the last, I think it was the last 16, 17, 18 games. But when I was fit, I couldn't get back in because they went on this unbelievable run. They never lost. They went on this run from sort of just before Christmas right away through to the end of the season. So it was difficult to change the team. Mm. But, I, you know, I played 20... I think it was 25 games I played that year. Enough to get your medal then, surely? Oh, yeah, yeah. I've got my medal, yeah. Was it injuries or just the step up that... Prev- I've had me- I had medial ligament strains and things like that, hamstring every now and then. But nothing... Nothing severe. I mean, the torn thigh muscle was the one, you know, it was about a nine, ten week job. You know, it was just because you had to wait for the whole lot to repair. And if you didn't do it properly, you ended up like, you know, Danny Salmon had a, 
you know, a ball of whatever you call it, and he had to have it operated on because he had the same injury. But it wasn't treated properly. So, the you know, but I was back. I was ready to play. And that's why I ended up going out on loan. Because you, you, you don't quite make the first team in Division 1, is that correct? I was, yeah, I was on I was on the bench for the first two games. It's Gradwell! get loan deals was it to Cambridge and Blackburn yeah. I, went, I went to Cambridge because I was out, I'd come back from an injury yeah. and the manager of Cambridge was a friend of John Doherty's and he needed a, he needed somebody on the right to replace John Beck who'd gone out with an hamstring injury Yeah. so I only went there and then John Beck who was the assistant manager player assistant manager with Chris whatever his name I can't remember his name who passed away uh, what's his name Chris was sitting in the stand for one game and John Beck was on the on the bench, bench you know, as the assistant. Mm. And I played. I think it was the third game that I was I was playing. And uh, second half, ten minutes into the second half, he makes a substitution. He takes me off and puts himself on. And I was doing quite well. So after the game, I went in in the, in the dressing room and the manager walked in. I went. He said, "I said oh, you. I won't be in tomorrow. I'm going back to Millwall." I said, "I ain't having like." No one liked the boy Beck, so I let it out. I just said, listen, I ain't going to let a prick like him. He went, I said, if you wanted to take me off, Chris, you should have done it. He went, I didn't even know he was doing it. Because Chris was sitting yeah. in the stand, and he was on the bed. He said, I didn't even know he was doing it. So anyway, cut a long story short, I ended up going back to Millwall. But I, the reason why I went out on loan was to get fitness games, because the reserves was a waste of time. Yeah. And I ended up going to Walsall... You know, no matter what club I was at, yeah. you know, I, had, I had a stint at Blackburn, but that was alone with a view to signing. Yeah, and I went up there and I played five, six games. They offered me a three-year contract, and then my last game for them was against Plymouth. And Ken Brown sent John Uzel out with with his phone number in his sock on a bit of paper. <laughs> so I'm playing up against the left back, John Uzel, and I've ripped the ass out of him. And as I'm walking back, he went, "Oh, by the way," he said, "This is from my." Ken Brown, the manager, he said, can you give him a ring after the game? I mean, that would, if you did that nowadays, they'd be in big trouble, wouldn't they? Um, but that's where you end up. You end up in Plymouth, as you say, Kenny Brown takes you to Argyle, and you have a good spell there. It would be remiss of me not to mention the proper humdinger that we had at the county ground, though, when Town beat Plymouth 3-0, and you got yourself sent off. Yeah, yeah, yeah I can remember that with um, with Close, Sean Close, yeah. yeah. He was a little, but he was a little bundle of energy, and you know fireworks but he'd been sticking it about a little bit so I ended up giving him a dig and he got he got the ump a bit and then it all kicked off and we ended up getting sent off yeah I remember it yeah do you have any other memories of playing Swindon at that time I know it's a bit of a you know you play a lot of teams no uh, because obviously with me being at Millwall I'd, I'd, what, what division was Swindon in in 88 Swindon 84 to 88 84 they were going up the league so by 88 they were in um they were in the second division as it was then, but uh, Lou was taking us up from Division Four upwards. Um, yeah, from I think. Onwards. I think by the time I was in there, yeah. when as Swindon were getting up, I'd moved. So you know, we weren't in the same division. Yeah, you only played against Swindon for Plymouth and Watford. You scored for Watford against for Watford. Town. Yeah, Vicarage. Yeah, yeah. yeah the the Argyle one, it's going it's going quite well for you. Um, by the looks of it, what 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 was that experience like? Oh, it was great. I mean. One of the reasons that I went there, one, they offered me more money than Blackburn, believe it or not. But 12 months later, 
Kenny Dalglish takes over. Yeah, unbelievable, isn't it? But, you know, so the reason that I went to Argyle was one, they offered me a little bit more money than what Blackburn offered me, and I've also got family in Cornwall. Yeah. My mum's sister, my mum's sister's husband, he was, he's a farmer, he's, you know, very rich farmer, he's just turned his land into a golf course, you know, Bowood Park uh, in Camelford, Tintagel. Nice. Or a place called Lanteglas, and he's turned it into a, an 18 old championship golf course. You know, that was one of the reasons that I actually came down here because I used to spend all of my youth here in the summer holidays yeah. as a kid. My mum and dad used to bring me down here in the summer holidays. I used to go and work on the farm and things like that. So I just thought it was the right move at the right time. And, you know, I just had my my first daughter. So I thought it was a good, you know, part of the country to live in. But from a playing point of view, Millwall was always my love. Always, you know, will always have the biggest part of, you know, of my heart in relation to the playing, but for a fam, you know, from a family perspective, club Plymouth was head and shoulders above anywhere that I've been. And next up, were, as I said before, was Watford. It, it, that's where the, the sort of the journeyman element of your career begins. Yeah, I mean, I went to Watford. I was I I, I was playing well at, at Plymouth, and little Martin Barlow was just coming through the ranks, um, mm. and then Ken. Ken got the sack. John Gregory took over on t- in temporary charge, and then David Kemp come in, and I got on well with Kempy and all of that. But he pulled me into the office one day, and he said, "Bud, he said, listen, as much as I had to say, he said, I've got to sell you." Mm-hmm. I said, "What do you mean you got to sell me?" He said, "Look, I've had an offer from Watford. He said, and I'm in the club, and, that, and we've accepted it." And he said, "It ain't because I want you to leave the club." He said, "It's because with the money that I'm getting for you, it allows me to keep." Jock Mor- Andy Morrison and Nicky Marker at the club for a season. And I just said, listen, Kempy, if I ain't going to play, he said, obviously, Chopsy's now pushing you and coming in behind you. He's going to need, you know, his opportunity. He said, it's just a win-win for everybody. I said, well, it is for fucking you, Plymouth and everybody else. Well, what about me? What if I don't want to go? He said, well, don't go. So I know he didn't, deep down, he didn't really want me to go. But, you know, back then, that... Under, well, it was under grand. I don't know if they got the full hundred. I know they got sixty-five up front, um, <laughs> and I'm just thinking, well, Watford. I've still got me house in London, so off you went. Off we went. Yeah, <laughs> moved back to London. I kept my house here because uh, I knew that I would always move back here in, like you know, in Plymouth. Yeah. So I goes down there. Colin Lee's the manager. Start really, really well. Colin, like they were going back for a bit of a rough patch. I mean, we had some good players as well, you know, like Luther Blissett, Kenny Jacket. Yeah. I played with Nigel Gibbs, Callie, Kevin O'Callaghan, uh, uh, Nigel Callahan, Alan Devonshire, David James in goal, Jason Drysdale left back, yeah. mm. Big Joe McLaughlin next Chelsea, Keith Dublin, uh, Gary Porter, Gary Penrice. You know, we had a really good team. I mean, it's a championship but, level team, so, you know, it's. Yeah, I mean, you know, for some reason, they. They were just struggling. Anyway, Colin gets a sack. Steve Perriman comes in. I play the first two, three, four games under him. Then he, then he leaves me out. And then I'm in the reserves and I'm playing and I'm on the bench. And then my last, the last ball that I kicked for Watford, I won goal of the season. And it was against, against Middlesbrough. Andy Dibble win goal. Well, David James has thrown it to me wide. He's thrown it up to me past the halfway line. I've picked it up. I've taken the touch. I've come inside. I've beaten one, beaten two. And then I'll hit it from 20, 25 yards. It's gone in the top corner. And it won me goal of the season. But I never ever kicked another first team ball for him after that. So from there, I went to Shamrock Rovers because my mate was the, Ray Tracy uh, was the manager. Yeah. I went there for six, six months. And then I got a call from J- big John McClelland, who used to play for Watford with Nigel Gibbs. Nigel Gibbs had recommended me to John McClelland. And 
I ended up going up to Scotland to St. Johnson and I ended up, I went up there. He phoned me the first week. I went, nah, nah, I'm not interested. I'll stay here because my dad's family, I was in Dublin. I said no, first of all. And then they played on the Saturday. I played on the Sunday for Shamrock Rovers. And then Sunday, Monday morning, I get a call from John McClellan. He said, look, Dave, he said, I know you didn't, you know, you, it wasn't really what you wanted to do when we spoke earlier on in the week. He said, but look, if you can, if you can jump on a flight tonight, and get up here, he said, you can make your debut against Rangers tomorrow. And I looked at the Rangers side, and they had Loudrup, Haightley, McQuist, Walters, <laughs> Stevens. So that really swung it for me, but I'm glad it was a decision that I made, and it was probably one of the best decisions I made, because it was probably, I really enjoyed my football up there, mm. I had a year at St. Johnson, then I went to Pike Thistle for two and a half years, under John Lambie, playing in the SPL up there, it was it was brilliant, you know, and playing against Celtic, Rangers, Hibs, Hearts, Aberdeen, you know, the two Dundees, Dundee United and Dundee at Dens Park and Tannadice, and that's when I got to know Paul. He tried to sign me and I turned him down, you know, but we stayed in touch. A lot of people are sort of a bit sniffy about Scottish football, but I, I enjoy it. It's not as competitive as it used to be. Oh, you've, only got to look, you've only got to look at the players that, you know, that I've just mentioned there. Yeah. You know, and you look at Celtic, Van Hoydonk, John Collins, Paul McStay, you know, mm. you haven't got that type of player up there now. No. You know, it's it's changed completely. It's one of those... People say that it was Mickey Mouse football. It weren't Mickey Mouse football. Far from it. I mean, the Rangers and Celtic teams that I played against would have beaten, you know, a lot of teams in the Premier Division as it was then, Division 1. They'd have, you know, they'd have more than held their own in that. No problem. Now, Ferry to the byline. Devita! They have turned it around. Simon Ferry to the byline and he had the presence of mind to pick out Rafael De Vita. The summer of 1995 is a funny one. I'm talking about Tottenham. So, you know, you've gone from Millwall to down to Plymouth. You've gone to Watford. You've gone to Ireland and then up to Scotland. What you've got to understand as well though, Rich, is I didn't choose these clubs. No. They chose me. Yeah. You know, I mean, you're right. From then... I did become a journeyman. You know, I was in my 30s. Yeah. But I was still very fit, still pretty quick, as quick as most. But yeah, I did then start to become a journeyman because a move was money then. Yeah, it ain't of course. Like it is now, you know, a move was money. Um, I'm now up in Scotland. I'm getting to the stage now where I've got to start thinking, what am I going to do next? Hence, I get a phone call from Jerry Francis. Jerry tried to sign me at Exeter, but it could, you know, they just didn't have the money to, you know, when he managed Exeter City. Yeah. A lot of people don't realise that Jerry managed there. Yeah, in the 80s, it was his first job. He was playing manager, wasn't he? Yeah, and he tried to sign me there, and it just didn't materialise. But as I say, you know, Jerry's related through marriage. My, You know, mm. Martin, his brother, is my, my brother-in-law. So I get a phone call from Jerry just saying, look, we've got a month of football if you fancy it. I don't mind telling you. He no. said, look, we'll pay you three grand a game. Uh, you know, expenses, it, it turned out, it, that's what it ended up, Yeah. to come and play for us in the Intertoto Cup. I went, what the fuck's the Intertoto Cup? He went, oh. He said, listen, we've entered it, not knowing all of the rules, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, so, why are you phoning me? Well, he said, look, because it was over the summer, they didn't have enough internet, they didn't have enough English 
nationality players or British players to fulfil the regulations. Because mm. Teddy was playing for Tottenham at the time. But Teddy was at Tottenham because I see him when I was there training. He was, you know, he'd come over and we would talk, you know, we would have a, a, a chat. And then obviously, they got, during that summer, they was all away mm. with England or whatever it might have been. Um, so they needed another five players. So there was me, Alan Pardew, Mark Newson, Ian Sampson, Sampson yeah. and, and, and I and other. There was five of us that all signed weekly contracts, <laughs> so game-by-game by, game by game contracts, to go and play for Tottenham. Now, it's not the kudos of playing for Tottenham. I can now put on my CV that I've actually played in Europe. You know, So we ended up in that. Brilliant. I played in all the games. We get down to the last game, which was against Cologne. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you've seen the result. Yes, I have. It was eight nil. And but I mean, looking at the lineup you're playing against, it's. Right, let me tell you, this is this is the story, and this is what happened. We get to Cologne, knowing that a win takes us through to the next stage of the Europa League. Cologne needed to win the game by five strokes six for goal difference to go through. Now, if you have a look at their previous teams, it was nothing like what they had there. <laughs> so when we turn up to the stadium at Cologne, all of a sudden we, we, we get off the coach, we walk in, it's a massive stadium. And there's TV cameras, there's un, there's thousands of fans all walking about. In and, and I'm, we're looking at each other going, is this what they get? Their reserves? Because it was, you know, it was Cologne's reserves more than anything. So what they'd done is they'd flown their first team back from their pre-season to come and play the game. And that includes World Cup winner Bodo Ilner in goal, the Austrian centre-forward Tony Polster, he plays, and the Romanian uh, Montiano Labadia, the captain, he, he played for Germany as well. Quite the team, wasn't it? Well, we were 4-0 down and I hadn't even touched the ball. <laughs> and so we got to half-time and Chris, obviously, yeah, Chris Hugan was the manager. Yeah, Chris took the team, yeah. along with Roger Cross, who was my first-team coach at Millwall. Yeah. So Chris took the team and he, I, I didn't have a bad game. Yeah. I didn't have a good game, but I didn't have a bad game because I never touched the ball. Yeah. So I ended up coming off just after half time, you know, and it, it, I, I don't know what the score was. I think it was about five then, and we ended up getting beat eight. Okay. But it was just the experience. I mean, after the game, we got beat eight nil. I'm going to have a shower, and there's this bath. I'm not joking you. I dived off the side of the wall <laughs> into the bath. I dived. <laughs> That's how big they were and how deep it was. <laughs> it was like being in a little swimming pool. Completely different world. Well, it's only one way you can get fit is to run. And uh, most days we go out here and we run to start with. And then, uh, then we play with the ball. Well, you returned to Scotland after that. And um, a little spell with Air United and then Albion Rovers. Where you spent quite a few years. Is that where your, your coaching begins to um, yes. go forward? Yeah, I mean, I, I signed for Air United for... Um, Simon Stainrod, he was the manager. Mm -hmm. I started to do a little bit of coaching there with him and a guy called Gordon DL. Um, and then they both got the sack, or no, Simon got the sack, and Gordon DL had said to me when I'd signed there, I'm sitting in the office, and Gordon, uh, um, Stan had gone out, and he said, give it, give, it, give it a month, he said, and I'll have that manager's chair. So I've walked into someone trying to get Simon Stainrod the sack so that he can walk into that. So I ended up going there for a short period of time, 
and then I left. And then I went to a club called Albion Rovers with a guy called Vinnie Moore, who was a good friend of mine who lived out near me. Was a was a footballer, played lower league at Clyde and places like that. Mm-hmm. So I went in there, and I went in there to help him, and I went in as a first team coach, you know. But I went in as a you know as a coach, but I ended up playing sweeper. Yeah. And Vinnie come out with a massive statement because we ended up beating Falkirk in one uh, in a cup cup game, and he said, you know, that he said I bought this, you know, crafty Cockney geezer in who you know got all the gift of the gab, but. He talks the talk, but he walks the walk. He said he has he has gone down as probably one of my best ever signings, and I, I ended up going and playing sweeper because it was a dot away, two big galoot <laughs> centre backs, and I just said to him, "You just go and win everything there. Don't worry about anything in behind you." And you know, we had a real good laugh there. But it was that was the start of my coaching career. That's when I started to plan that I, you know, I want to become a coach. I want to try the management side if it materialises. Um, and, and and that's probably right. Yeah, that's probably where it started. And other than the those you've already mentioned, who were your main coaching influences up to that point? I don't think I had any real coaching influences up in Scotland. John Lambie was one that said, we went to Ireland on a pre-season tour and we were doing something. And I turned around and said, ah, oh, for fuck's sake. I said, we've got to do all this again. <laughs> so John Lambie was the best man manager motivator I've ever come across he was unbelievable and uh, he went why what's the matter I said well it's the same old thing John he said I tell you I tell you what he said you fucking take the session go on you go and take the session and him and Jerry Collins fucked off <laughs> and left me with a squad of players that was my that was my introduction to coaching but that's probably good, a baptism of fire, just there you go, do what you got to do. that was him. He was like Brian Clough. He was the Brian Clough of Scotland. Yeah. He had, you know, like, you've obviously, heard, I don't know if you've heard the old saying, he was in a game where one of the boys got injured, he went down, and the physio turned around and went, Gaffer, he's a bit dizzy, he, 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 he ain't remembering much, he don't know, he, he said he don't remember too much, he went, good. He said, tell him he's fucking Pele and get him back on the pitch. That <laughs> was John tough. Lambie, he was unbelievable. Unbelievable. So he, so him and Jerry Collins went to the pub. They shot off to the pub and left me to take the whole squad. We're talking about people like Chick Charnley, Roddy Grant, Albert Craig, Bobby Law, you know, all top players. <laughs> now all of a sudden I'm standing in the middle of this pitch saying, right lads, this is what we're going to do. <laughs> <laughs> and that was, that was the, really, that was the start of my coaching career. Um, that's when I knew after that, I thought, because the especially when the boys turned around and went, hey, Budge, that weren't bad, that. You know, so I set up a couple of little sessions, a bit of running, done this, that, and the other, and he ended up having a little game. And, we, you know, you know, we made, and, and just added progressions to it as it went on. When did the nickname Budgie come into play? Oh, I've had that from when I went into, when I was at non-league. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how it works. might have been my legs. <laughs> I always get the impression that maintaining a career in football is quite hard. So how difficult is it to break into like the coaching and maintain a career? It's, it's tough. It's a lot tougher now, though, Rich, because it's not what it's not how good you are, what you know. It's who you know. Yeah. I mean, I ended up, you know, I was a lead tutor for Devon and Cornwall with the FA. Yes, yes, it was, yeah. In coach education. So most of the boys that are now working down there, I put them through their coaching badges. 
the two first team coaches at Plymouth, I put through their badges. Yeah. Um, so getting in, and you, you talk about who was who was instrumental in you know in my coaching career. Um, there's a guy at Devon FA called Dave Keast. He gave me the opportunity to become a coach educator. Um, um, and that's between 2002-2006, isn't it, with the football Yeah, that was the four years that I was there. And there's a guy called Roger Soper and Alan Gillette. Now, mm-hmm. Alan was my first team coach at, at, at Plymouth, but he was he was on the FA's, you know, uh, education, coaching education list. But Roger Soper was the head honcho. He was the top dog. Mm. And he took me under his wing, and he was unbelievable. He was absolutely brilliant for me. I used to um, I used to shadow him in you know in the coaching courses, and I went from delivering level one, level two, level three, and then also supervising on the A license as well mm. under his tutorship. But I ended up delivering level threes as the lead tutor, and then I went on to the A license with people like um, uh, Dick Bates, mm-hmm. you know, who passed away last year. Mm-hmm. Absolutely unbelievable. He put me through my A license and one of the best coaches I've ever seen at work. Uh, Alan Irvine, who for me is probably one of the best coaches I've ever seen at work. Terry Burton, probably the best coach I've ever seen at work. And then the managers that I worked for that gave me the, you know, gave me the the freedom to go out and do what you know do what I was good at. Yeah. Um, Dave Jones, you know, I was two and a half years at Sheffield Wednesday with Dave, a little time at Cardiff with him just allowed me to go out and deliver all the ILPs and the DAPs to the first team squads, just to go and improve them as individuals collect and then collectively in their unit. So I've worked with people like Connor Wickham, Ross Barkley, you know, boys that are there now, like uh, Ati Nahui, mm-hmm. um, Liam Palmer, you know, a few of the boys that are still there. So you must have been very happy or sort of excited when Paul Sturrock arrives in Plymouth. Well, I got pulled a job. Ah. They sat Kevin Hodges and they were looking for a manager. And yeah. I knew, I was working in there on the academy. I was working with um, the academy manager, Stuart Gibson. And I was doing the 18s. And I got to know the chairman at, uh, at Plymouth at the time, a guy called Paul Stapleton. Yeah. They were looking for a manager. And I'd, I'd, I'd been back a while, but I'd kept in touch with Paul. And he was at Dundee United. Then he went to St. Johnson and then... He was. Re- he wanted that opportunity. He kept saying to me, "If anything crops up in England, give me a shout." But without him knowing, I just put him forward, and I spoke to Paul Staple and I said, "Listen, I'm telling you now, there's a there's a guy in Scotland, right? Paul Sturrock, ex Scottish international, Dundee United, plays the game the right way. Great tactician. You want to take the club forward? He's your man to do it. So Paul, it, you know, oh." All credit to him, he listened to what I had to say, and I put the two of them in contact. So they'd obviously spoken on the phone. The next day, I phoned Starrick up, I went, how'd you get on? So he, he flew down, they actually flew him down for an interview. Hmm. They met him in Exeter, he had his interview, flew back to Scotland, and then the next day I phoned him, I said, how'd it go? He went, yeah, he said it went well. I said, well, good, they offer you the job, he went, no, I can't see that happening. I said, what do you mean can't see it happening? He went, I think they think I'm too much money. I said, oh, 
I said, all right, well, let us know what happens anyway. Cut a long story short. I phoned Paul Stapleton up. I said to him, how'd it go with Paul? He went, Budge, he's our first choice, number one. I said, well, why didn't you offer him? He went, he was too much money. I said, what do you mean too much money? He said, well, he told us what he was on at Dundee United. I said, yeah. I said, well, how much was that? He said, under grand a year. I said, right. I said, well, what did you offer him? He went, well, nothing. We can't go. I said, well, you didn't offer him anything. So how do you know that? So I said, well, tell me, what will it take to get Paul Starrett down? He said, Budge, the most we can do is 70 grand a year. I went, leave it with me. I'll make a phone call. Love it. He said, what's up? I said, Plymouth. Grand a year. Take it or leave it. He went, what? I said, take it or leave it. 70 grand a year. Yes or no? He went, yeah, I'll have it. <laughs> Put the phone down on him. Phone Paul's table and back and told him he'd be on the next flight here. 70 grand a year. Yes or no? He went, yeah, done. <laughs> Picked up by Ling. They've got four players forward here, Swindon. Ling going alone for the moment and turns it to Moncare. It's a goal. Swindon have scored. He said, listen, I've just been offered the Swindon job. I went, oh, well, listen, good luck. I said, but stay in touch. Anyway, he comes down to Swindon, he gets a Swindon job. He's only in, the, he only walked through the door into his office. First of all, the phone call he makes is me. Budge, you, I don't care what you say. Pack up the job at the college, you come in and here. I'll give you a contract, the same length as mine, so you're here for three, four years. I said, oh, Paul, I, 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 got, I need to go and speak to everybody and... Anyway, cut a long story short, he said to me, look, come down and have a look at the club and see what you think. So I comes up on a Monday. They played on the Saturday. You know where Paul's office, I don't know, have you ever been down there where the office no, used I've to never, be? I've office? never been behind the scenes at Swindon, believe right. it or not. Well, you go down there and it's right opposite, Paul's office is right opposite the away team's dressing room door. Mm-hmm. And in the mornings, the kids used to train in there. The first team used to train uh, and change up in the home team dressing room. So I gets in there about midday. I goes down to his office. I'm sitting in the office. A fucking ball's hit the window outside. Then another ball's hit the door. Then another ball's hit the window again. I went, what's going on? He went, go and have a look at it. And there's a little square pane glass through, like from the door. He said, go and have a look. And I looked out. And there's the youth team players playing football in the corridor. Effing and blinding, blah, blah. He went, that's what you're here to put right. I went, what? He said, you're coming in here. Get hold of that fucking lot there and put them right. So I came in as a first team coach, but academy manager or head of youth. Mm. He said, you sack, hire and fire anyone who you want. So Jeremy Newton, Nutty, he was still there. I had a look at all the staff. I got rid of a few, but I kept Nutty on because he was good. He he weren't a good coach, but he was good at the admin, you know, on the computer and all of that. So I kept him on. He said, fine, not a problem. Paul wanted me to get rid of him. So we we just put rules and regulations in place. I was hard. I was hard on the kids, really hard. Yeah. I was fair. And I think if you speak to them, you know... um, any of the kids that come through, I mean, they'll all tell you. I was, a bar- I was our bastard, but I was fair. 
And does that go back to your early days when you're going into football, you did things on your own terms? Yeah, but I was in dressing rooms that were tough. Yeah. You know, you know when you're in that Millwall first team dressing room and you ain't performing, manager don't give you a bollocking. The players will grab you by the throat and fucking smash you across the dressing room. You know, there is no hiding place. And I'm now looking at the kids at Swindon and I'm thinking, look, my job is to get you a pro contract. My job is to get you mentally prepared to go and sit in that first team dressing room. You know, and, you know, you, you, you forget Lukas Djukovic come through me as well. Yeah. You know, Sean Morrison, Ben Tozer, you know, all of those. I had Simon Cox, Charlie Austin, I signed. It was, he was, you know, he was one of my, the players that I signed from Paul. Ken Ryder went to watch him, and then me and Ken went to watch him, and then we brought him in. But we brought him in when Danny had taken over. But during the time before Danny came in, Charlie was one that we was trying to get hold of. Yeah, and you, I think Nathan Thompson's there as well. And uh, his younger brother, his other, his brother as well. We scholared. Yeah, uh, Callum Kennedy, uh, Scott Doe. He went on for a half decent. Yeah, uh, Lloyd Macklin. Yeah, Lucas Djukovic, uh, Matt Ritchie. I bought in. And it can't be that bad because you bring your your philosophy because Sean Morrison, Ben Tozer, and Ben Joyce come up from Plymouth to join you, and were they all college? Yes, yeah. So I mean, you look at Sean Morrison, captain. No, no, Sean, 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 and, and, and Ben Joyce were both released by Plymouth Academy. Ah, right. So you took them on after after. So yeah, I mean, yeah, Sean Morrison sat in my living room crying because he thought his his world had come to an end. But you know, there's a lot of people that need thanking for these kids. You know, I look at all of the Nile Ranger. Yeah, I took him in. Do you know that Nile Ranger was at Swindon? I, I knew he had his trial um, against Supermarine, yeah, before he scored an over a kick. That's right, yeah. And Morris Malpass. And then I get a phone call from, from his landlady saying, oh, David, I'm just phoning to let you know that he's packed his suitcase and he's gone. I went, what? Gone where? Oh, up to Newcastle. Signed a five-year contract. I've been bending Fitton's ear. I've been bending Morris's ear to sign this kid. He's the best that I'd ever worked with. Never calls me and an ounce of problem. I used to speak to his landlady and I'd say, is, is he all right? She went, he, David, he's fine. He spends more time asleep. His eyes are, are closed more than they're open. Well, even when he was playing for Swindon, he never got a book in on the pitch. He, he, no. he scored a goal. He was a, he was a good team player. And then his the influences behind the, the scenes is, are too much. It's knowing how to work and get inside their mind. I had Sean Morrison staying at, at his digs. And I knew I had to make sure that I put, I, I put him with the right people to look after him. Now the land, the landlady that used to look after Sean and Ben Joyce and all that was brilliant, mm. absolutely brilliant. But I knew having Sean Morrison and Ben to, uh, and Ben Joyce there, if Ranger stepped out of line, one or two, one of them two would have said, "Oi, bomb," and nailed him. Because yeah. that's the type of people they were. I mean, it's Andrew. It's Andrew Fitton that says that you were a key player in getting Simon Cox in. What was your What was your role there? Me and Stark. Well, Luggy, Luggy was the manager. Yeah. And I was do, obviously doing a little bit of coaching with the first team, but you know, doing the reserves and taking the like and taking the kids. He said, I, I said to him, we played in a in a game, and I I went to watch the boy Cox play. He was playing for Northampton, and. I, there was just something about him. I, I've got this... I don't know what it is, Rich. I've got this thing. If I go and watch someone, I'll, I'll know within five or ten minutes, if I sign this lad, he's going to be a player. Mm. 
and I had I got I got this feeling with Coxie. So he was at Northampton at the time, and they were going through a bit of a rigmarole with um, signings. So me and Luggy went to Birmingham to watch a, a Reading a Reading reserve. He'd gone back to Reading mm-hmm. because Northampton, I think they were under an embargo or something like that. So he'd gone back to Reading. He was playing in a reserve game, and me and Luggy went to watch him play. We're sitting there, we get in, watching the game, 45 minutes, like he went, he's fucking shy. <laughs> he said, come on, he said, let's go. He said, get a burger. we get a burger first. So we're getting a burger, and we're standing there, and he sees someone that he knew from, you know, from his football management and all that, and he's standing there having a chat. Anyway, they come out for the second half, first five minutes. And as we, he said, Budge, come on, let's go. He said, he ain't good enough. And as we're walking away, he picked this ball up. He's done a couple of bits and pieces, and he scored this goal. Like, and like he looked at me, he went, "Get fitting on the phone. We'll take him tomorrow." <laughs> 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 and that's how it went. And then we ended up signing him, and you know, hundred and fifty grand. Yeah. And as I'm walking out of the office, Andrew Fitting said to me, "Budge, hundred and fifty thousand pounds for Simon Cox." I went, "Yeah, absolute fucking snip." He went. On your head, be it. Newcastle and then the following year against Charlton yeah but the first year my very first year Paul's phone me he said Budge he said the chairman's coming down he wants your recommendations for pro contracts so I went in with Morrison Tozer Kennedy Chrissy Allen eight of them eight to be pro and we're sitting in Paul's office and Paul giving him the list and he looks at me and he's shaking his head no. And I looked at the chairman, and he just sort of—he was—he had the list in his hand. He sort of just peered up at me with his eyes, looking at me as if to say, "Are you fucking mad?" <laughs> he said to me, "He said, Mr. Burney said, can you name the last team that signed eight scholars on professional contracts in one year?" And I went. Um, and then I started reading out the class of 92. <laughs> Beck, uh, Beckham, Skulls, Giggs, Neville, Neville, but, but I only got to about six or seven. So I looked at him and went, no, I don't think I can, Jim. <laughs> he said, so you can't think of anybody and you've just ruled off all those Manchester United players and you expect us, little old Swindon, to do it. I went, yeah. You brought me in to do a job. You want my opinion? There's the pro contracts. Do you know all eight of them made their first team debut within a year of signing their first pro contract? I remember when the eight were announced, and I do, and I'm, I'm fully aware that they all went on to play, a, if not a handful of games, a lot of games. In the case of people like uh, Kennedy, stayed until a lot of, for a long time. 
and um, Lloyd Macklin, I think, was in that eight. Chrissy Allen. Yeah, he played a few. Lloyd Macklin, Ben Joyce. Yeah, scored. Mark Toga, Morrison scored on his debut. Yeah. Actually, against Chesterfield, I uh, think it was. Port Vale. You know, they all ended up making their debuts. And do you feel that that proves you right, the fact that they made the first team, or does it? did they have to have some longevity in there? At the end of the day, like I used to say to the boys, listen, your first pro contract's the easy one because it was a set amount. So it didn't matter whether you were Sean Morrison or whether you were Simon Cox or whoever. Yeah. You got X amount of pounds. Mm. It's the next contract. That's the one that determines whether or not you're going to have a, 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 a living in the game. Chrissy Allen fell short. Lloyd Macklin fell short. But the rest of them all went on to make half-decent careers. And that was my job, Rich. My job was to turn them into pros, yeah. force Swindon, and sell them on for a profit. Yeah. Sean Morrison's just gone for five million. Well, he's the captain of a Premier League team. Yeah, he went to Cardiff for five million. So that tells me I'm doing my job. I've done it at every club I went to. The way you've team, the way that sort of we interpret YTS now, really in the pro contract game is at the end of the season, maybe one or two get through. And it always feels a little bit like tokenism. You know you know that within a couple of months, they're going to be sent out on loan to Chippenham and Supermarine. The thing is, the thing is though, Rich, what you've got to have is you've got to have a manager that believes in and trusts and trusts his youth team manager. Paul, trust me implicitly. If I said to Paul, sign him. Yeah. He'd sign him. He don't need to send anybody to look. He will trust my judgment on, on, on that. Not a problem. But what you need is you need a manager that's got the bollocks to give them the opportunity. Because I tell you now, if you throw kids into a first team, sink or swim, I'll guarantee you 99% of them will swim. Mm. Did Morris and Danny put faith in, in the youth team? Starrett did. Mm-hmm. And Danny did to a certain extent. Morris did. But it had to be at the right time. Yeah, It had to be at the right time. But like I said to you, Rich, they all played. And what happened then was... All of a sudden now, you look at that FA Youth Cup run that they had. Yeah. They beat Middlesbrough, who was supposed to be the dog's bollocks of youth team football. They were the Manchester City of youth team football. They were, you know, yeah. um, Dave, whatever his name. We beat them 4-0. Yeah. We beat Palace. We, we drew with QPR and ended up going through on a penalty shootout. We beat Burnley. And then we pulled Newcastle and we lose... 2-1 in extra time to an Andy Carroll goal. Yeah. And we played half of the game with 10 men. And I'm almost certain that Andy Carroll was brought in to play that game because he was already flirting with the first team, wasn't he? Yeah, as yeah. was Lukas Djukovic for us. Yeah. Because they both scored. Yeah. They both scored on the day. We had Chrissy Allen, the captain, he got sent off. But the one that the one that disappointed me, the one person that disappointed me at Swindon, believe it or not, was Lloyd Macklin. Because if I could have got the pennies dropped with him, I'd have sold him for five, six, seven million pounds. It was understanding that it was his it, position and game understanding. He just couldn't take it on, but he just didn't understand. Yeah. But I worked tirelessly with him. Lovely boy, great yeah. lad. Just retired actually. He scored forty goals. Yeah. Scored forty goals in his last year as a youth team player from wit from wide. We played Bristol Rovers and we beat him six. He scored five. Lenny Lawrence was on the touchline with Kevin Hodges, who was at Bristol Rovers at the time. Lenny said to me, Budge, I'll put him in the boot of my car now and take him back to Bristol Rovers and he'll play in the first team tonight, this afternoon. How does, how does a player just take it on board? I'm sure he's trying to. 
Yeah, he's trying to. It's some, you know, it's it's some players just don't. It just doesn't happen for him. And Lloyd, unfortunately, was one of those. Yeah. You know, he's probably been the only one that I've really, really struggled with. So they are very far and few between. Yeah. Were you close to leaving when Sturrock left? No. 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 When Paul left and I took over as caretaker, he said, "Come on," he said, "We're going back to Plymouth." I said, no, I'm not going. He went, what? I said, no, I'm not going. I said, you brought me here to do a job. I ain't just going to come in and walk out again. I said, there's too much water going under the bridge for me at Plymouth. You know, Kevin Hodges found me a threat, blah, blah, you know. Mm. So I said to him, no, no, that's my time at Plymouth. Done. He said, you sure? I said, yeah. He said, right. He said, I'm gonna, I'll speak to the chairman to give you, an, give you the chance. I said, you don't have to speak to him, he's already told me. He's asked me to take temporary charge. He went, well, give it a go, see how you go. He said, but you know there's always a job for you at Plymouth, which was great because I thought, well, if it don't work here, I can always go on. Yeah. Austin going in! Well, it was coming in the first half. It's arrived six minutes into the second. A glorious scoring header from Charlie Austin. It's probably the probably the worst kind of game to have as a caretaker's debut. And I can remember every part of that game. It was a <laughs> shit, horrible day, horrible pitch. Yeah. And Blair Sturrock came on and scored the winner. Late on, yeah. And then I lost the next three league games. Yeah, I was I was at the Carlisle one because I was living in the northeast at the time, yeah. um, and I was at the Carlisle. Well, you have a look. At, you have a look at the squad. Yeah. He started those three games. Well, Toza started, didn't he, in the uh, Carlisle? Right. Chrissy Allen played. Yeah. I gave them all their debuts. Right? And we got beat 3-0 by Brighton. Yeah. We got beat 2-1 by someone. And then, South End, yeah. And then another three. Was it a... Brighton. A, a, against Brighton. And I can remember the punters in the paper, in the advertiser... Fucking get a proper manager, blah blah blah, all that bollocks, you know. Yeah. And this is the what I can't, the, the one thing that disappointed me about them was that they they jump on the bandwagon really really quickly mm. before you've had a chance to express your feeling. And no one was hurting more than me because I I loved it at Swindon. I'd have stayed here for life. Yeah. I'd have stayed at the club for life, no doubt. And I just came out with a statement, and I just turned around and said. Um, I can understand the frustration. I said, but judge this team when you get when you get a proper, you know, when you get your squad. Have a look at what I had out injured. I think there was nine. Yeah. And then we ended up playing Hartlepool, I think it was. That's right, yep. And Danny was the manager. And we beat him, I think. We yep, 2-1. Yep. 2-1. And it could have been eight. Yeah. But I brought back, I think Hasney came back, Jarrell was back, and then we went on this run where we, all right, we weren't winning games. We weren't I'm getting beat. And they're good teams as well. It's, I mean, Bournemouth, I think, probably was struggling. But Swansea on New Year's Day is a last-minute equaliser after we conceded, like, well, just before full-time or just before injury time kicked in a, a, a nice penalty, a penalty that probably was a bit soft, but who cares? And then you finish up all draws, Bournemouth, Swansea, Barnet, Walsall. Were you in... How close you were you ever in contention? I didn't want the job. At that stage? I didn't, or? Want, it, I, I didn't, I didn't want the job first time round because yeah. I weren't ready. Yeah. 
I think all I wanted to do was I just wanted a steady ship, and I think we went. Was it seven, eight games? I'm being yeah. Like I mean, because the first Malpass game is a win as well, so yeah, it would have been. But I'd taken control of that, and Morris was just—he said, "Look, you just get on with it," and it didn't matter. But Morris said, "Look, you, I'll just." The first thing Morris done when he came through the door, he said, "Budge, Luggy's told me all about you. I yeah. want you to stay." Yeah. Are you up for that? I said, "Well, not a problem." More than, and he was brilliant. He was brilliant, and he. You know, that's the one thing that I I, I, I I was a little bit critical of the Swindon fans about. They all thought because he was from Scotland, Dundee United, that it was a Paul, um, it was a Paul Sturrock appointment. Yeah. Paul had absolutely nothing to do with Morris Malpass coming to Swindon Town. Yeah. Nothing whatsoever. When they interviewed him, they then contacted Paul to find out a little bit more about his background, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But he was their first choice. Jeremy Ray told me that. I've, I've got to agree with you, to be honest, because I, I was talking to Chris Tanner um, in the last episode, um, and I was saying to him that I always had a soft spot for Malpass when I was a kid because he was a huge player for Scotland and Dundee United. Massive, um, massive player. Um, and the, the reaction that you would have remembered from them was, who? Would have been, you know, who the hell is this guy? And that just goes to that, that. That showed me their mentality that they didn't know anybody outside of Swindon. Yeah. But listen, the supporters here were brilliant. Yeah. They're no, they're, they're no different to any other club, mate. Yeah. You know, no, absolutely when, not. When, when, when the shits, it's a fan. You know, we were being run. You got to remember by Mike Diamandis, who was an absolute. You know, yeah. and I grew. A relate. I, I ended up having a real good relationship with Seaton Wills, his daughter, um, her husband, and his grand his grandson. I went and done private sessions for his son's school, private school, and yeah. I got and I really got really close to him, and I told him that he was being taken for a ride. Um, I just let it all out because I just didn't want to see him, you know, being taken. For a ride, and he was, he was a yeah. end of okay, full stop. And then when Fitton and all them came in, I can remember it as plain as the nose on the end of my face. I'm sitting in the press conference when Luggy had gone to, to um, Plymouth. We're sitting waiting to start the press conference, but Andrew Fitton's waiting for a call from his lawyer to say that everything's okay and gone through. Yeah, start the press conference until he gets the phone call. What about the, the, the best holdings saga before the Fitton consortium? consortium came in do you it was a joke Rufus Brevet came in with these Portuguese geezers Paul Sturrocks got them all around his house for dinner and doing this and the other I said to him Paul I'm off he went what do you mean you're off I said I ain't sitting here talking to these fucking idiots they're fucking all of them and then they bring in these three or four players that we're now paying a wage for that fit in and all that lot had to pay off to get to get rid yeah it was an absolute it was a shambles it was a shamble. I didn't want to be associated. Anyway, the best thing that ever happened to Swindon Town was Fitton and his not taking over. And then I ended up a real good friendship with Jeremy Ray, who I still speak to weekly. Um, How's he getting on? Brilliant. He's just, well, have a look at his um, championship horse racing. Have a look at that. Just go online and have a look. He's putting it together now. Nice. Um because he was looking at Sheffield Wednesday for a bit. Yeah, he went to Barnsley and spoke to them as well. But he's concentrating on this horse racing thing that he's doing. And he'll pull it off. 
you know, and Andrew Black, Bertie Black and, 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 and Jeremy's brother, they were the, the investors, hmm. you know, and then what what was hard to take was I'd done a lot of hard work, you know, getting the boys back on track. You know, we started climbing the league. We were just outside the playoffs. I think we were three points behind with a game in hand. And then Morris came in and with the same squad of players, he never won it, you know, the first game was the one that I, you know, but then he never won a game in nine or ten or something like that. Yeah. It was something stupid, wasn't it? He never really has a run during his town spell, really. No. But he was brilliant. He was great to work for, Morris. Mm-hmm. He was great to work for. He let you coach, and you know, he let me, you know, he tell me what he needed doing, and I'd go out and do it. It was great. And then, obviously, Morris then got the sack. And then I took over again. And I, I went on this, a run again. It was a run. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. It's a ridiculous one because it's, it's actually really, really heartbreaking because the Leicester one, that's, we, we get a late goal, brilliant. But Bristol Rovers and Peterborough, they're both they're both wins until injury time equalises. And if those yeah. are Ws, then it could be a different story for you. And that's when I wanted the job. Yeah. But what they didn't understand was they wanted... Now, now they're in, their feet are under the table... They've made a mistake with Morris. I can understand why they didn't go with me. Yeah. I don't think the punters wanted me. I think some of them said, give him a chance. Some of them were saying, listen, we need experience, blah, blah, which I can understand. But when you look at the run that we came out of, and then I'd taken over with the same group of players and then got started getting the results again, I thought then I deserved an opportunity. Yeah. And they didn't give it to me. And then... I, again, I got Danny Wilson the job because Danny had got the sack at Hartlepool and they were looking for someone that ticked all these boxes and I, I phoned Andrew Fitton up um, and I said to him, Danny Wilson's your man. He said, what? I said, Danny Wilson's your man. He ticks all the boxes that you're talking about. Ex-player, international, managed at the highest level, knows this division, been promoted out of it, he's done this, he's done... He's your man. So they end up giving Danny the job. Now... I got on brilliant with Danny, but Danny was a fucking two-faced... How so? Danny, Danny couldn't handle confrontation, and I worked my bollocks. He knows I got him the job, and then when I was assisting him all that, you know, for, for the rest of that season, and then we go away for the summer, I'm on my holidays, and I get a phone call from the club saying, Budge, do you know that Danny's now appointing Peter Shirtliff as the assistant manager? Mm. But he didn't have the fucking guts or the bollocks to phone me and tell me. That's the one thing that I disliked about Danny. Yeah. I mean, any relationship up until that point was fine. There was no... I, st- I get on brilliant with Danny now. Yeah. I get on great with him now. Never fallen out with him. But, you know, they're the sort of things that I've been brought up. That, you know, it's a no-no. You don't do things like that. Yeah. You don't do it. If you're going to do it, take me in the office. Don't do it when I'm not there. And then let me find out by phone call. I was in the middle of the fucking Caribbean on a cruise. Richie, he's hit it, and it's deflected, and Swindon Town have the lead! What was your relationship like with the players? Brilliant. Yeah? But it was hard. Mm. Because, like reserve team manager, youth team manager, I was the one that pulled the... When the dressing room was down, I was the one that would go in and pull it all up, and, you know, a bit of banter and a laugh and a joke. Like I'd walk in and fucking set a fire extinguisher off and fire it at them and things like that, you know whole place you know when they were getting their asses felt you know I was I was the I was they loved me being in the dressing room with, with the banner yeah so it was hard but then when I took over I knew I could have, I had to change but I didn't want to change too much because if I didn't get the job and went back to my old role I didn't want to 
fall out with any of the boys. Yeah. So it was tough. I mean, the one that I did fall out with was Sophie Zabu against Nottingham Forest when I took him off. He went fucking mad. He waited for me. <laughs> <laughs> but he was such a temperamental... And he was probably, I don't know if you remember that game at home, Nottingham Forest, Colin Calderwood was the manager. Yeah. And we got, we we had, I can't remember who got sent off. Was it Lee Peacock or someone got sent off? And we went down to 10 men. And I took Sophie off, but he was probably our best player. But what I needed was discipline and fucking willing workers. Yeah. So, And we went 4-3-2. So I needed a three-man midfield. Pitch across the pitch, across the pitch, across the pitch, leaving the furthest man on the opposite side as their out ball. And on a shitty pitch, they were never going to hit that ball. Yeah. And it worked. And we ended up fucking. I don't know if we beat them or we drew. I think it might have been a draw, but yeah. we got a draw out of it with 10 men. Yeah. And he wanted to have a fight with me. <laughs> what, just outside the changing rooms or after the game? And, and, then, and then after the game. <laughs> yeah. But, you know. I got on great with Sophie. I've got on, on, on well with all the boys. I had a row with Barry Core because we'd done a session um, and I said to Barry, Barry, listen, you, if Billy Paint is fit, he plays Saturday. Barry went, fuck that. I said, well, if you don't like the decision, Bell, fuck off, go in. <laughs> so I had to flex my muscles a little bit. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But I get on brilliant with Barry Core now. Whenever I see Barry, we always have a cuddle and a man hug and all that. And I do with all the boys, all of them. Who were the uh, who were the elite sort of players that that town had in your opinion in that stage? Yeah, Christian Roberts. Yeah, Peaky uh, has um, uh, Hasney was a leader. Jarrell. Yeah, Hasney's a funny one because yeah. he he never. I mean, brilliant player at Plymouth and up in Scotland and. He he never the fans never seem to warm to him too much. No, no, I think as was like coming to that stage where he, he he's getting a two year you know, yeah he's getting a yeah. two year deal yeah. But saying that you know, Jarrell was a fucking car crash. How so? Because every time he made a fucking fuck up, it was a goal. <laughs> he used to just do things off his own back and off the cuff, and I'm thinking. It's not part of the plan, Jarrell. Fucking wake up. But, great lad. Needed him, you know. And, and this is where, you know, supporters, they attach themselves to someone like the beast, the beast. Yeah. You know, he wasn't a good footballer. He, he he relied on his pace to get him out of trouble. And when it didn't get him out of trouble, it cost us dearly. Dearly. Um, but would always be in my side because... He, gave, he always gave you 100%. A fantastic servant for Swindon. He's just come back out of retirement to play for Supermarine, believe it or not. Yeah, I heard, yeah. I had a good squad. Christian Roberts, no one liked him, but he was a game changer. Sophie Zaboob was a good player. Michael Timlin, you know, you had Tims and Charlie, you know, they, they, Peaky, you know, they was all decent. They was all good lads. They were great lads to work with. They were receptive and they went out and gave it their best shot. But you got to remember, the club was being fucking dragged through Hell at the time, yeah. and these boys were trying their hardest. They were, you know, and, and th- in the end, in the end, we got it right because when Danny came in, we put the squad together. You know, I had a lot to do with bringing in Gordon Greer, Prutton, the goalkeeper, Dave, uh, what's his name, Lucas, Lucas, uh, Scotty Cuthbert. How, how did we let Gordon Greer go? Well, he was getting on a little bit. 
and to get 400 grand for him at that stage was a good deal. But he deserved the opportunity to go to go to Brighton. He deserved the opportunity to step up the ladder. Yeah. You know, he'd done what we expected him to do. He'd done what we asked of him. Yeah. So he des- he deserved the move, as did Sean Morrison, as did Toza, as did Lucas. You know, we had we had some good players. I think the difference with Greer though is he was our captain. He was so influential, and then we just on cashed in at the what felt like to the fan side of things. It felt like we cashed in at the first opportunity. I wouldn't disagree with you, mate. Yeah. I wouldn't disagree with you. You know, you know. But at the end of the day, it happened, and then I felt that that was probably probably the demise of the club at that time. Then yeah, that's when things started to go downhill. Well, yeah, we get uh, we get relegated. Black, the yeah, yeah. Jeremy took over, and then obviously, then fucking De Canio came in, and his mum, you either love him or you hate him. But if they'd have kept him, you'd have been in the championship the following season. Without a doubt. So, so what happened to David Byrne after leaving Swindon? I went to Sheffield Wednesday with Dave Jones, and I had two and a half, three good years there. Yeah. Um, as uh, for, you know, I was working with the first team on the coaching. I was doing all the recruitment, and then I started to get into the recruitment side of it. It was an area that really interested me. Yeah. And then I ended up going to Brighton for a little bit with Chrissy Hewton. Uh, sorry, Birmingham with Chrissy Hewton. I'd done their European fixtures, done all the match reports for the opposition. Uh, I went to Wolves for a spell doing recruitment, and that's what I'm into now that's what I'm doing now I'm head of uh, head of recruitment player profiling for a company in London and what does that entail I just go out I profile players I put it onto a platform system mm-hmm. and then the the company's agents go and attack the players to try and sign them up as clients <laughs> so what sort of level are you seeing everything mm-hmm. Europe World Cup Europe everything from Premier Division right the way down to um National League. And are you tending those games or are you watching them at home? Or? Yeah, no, I, yeah, yeah, no, I go to the games. Fantastic. I was at Notts County last night. Yeah. Um, I'm going to um, Exeter versus Norwich under 23s tomorrow. I'm at Exeter versus Blackpool on Saturday. Then I'm off up to Liverpool on the 15th to meet uh, the staff at Liverpool just to go and find out exactly what they're looking for. You know, in yeah. in relation to recruitment, and is this is this is this the role for you now? This is what you see yourself no. doing. No, no. If I can get back, if I could get a job, my, the perfect job, the the one job that I really really enjoyed. I love my time at Swindon was probably the best in relation to me coming away from the playing side. Yeah, like I said to you, I'd assigned. I'd have signed a lifetime contract on the same money, no rise, just leave me alone, let me get on with my job and I'll be happy. Yeah. Was it was it an amicable ending? Because the BBC ran an article saying that you just wanted to go back into the managing side of things. No, no, no. I never, ever wanted to become a manager. Yeah. Never, ever, in a million years. I never, ever wanted to become a manager. Um, I was disappointed because I thought I earned the opportunity. Yeah. But once I'd had a taste of it, I thought, hmm... Just let you know. I just like the opportunity to have one go. I just felt that I had what it what was needed to go and put a team together. Yeah. And then give me one season to have a crack at gaining promotion. 
that's all I wanted that opportunity but it never ever it never arose yeah. um, the next best thing for me was you know I lived with Dave Jones for two years in Sheffield with his wife and his kids and his family and I used to do two days a week where I'd go and take individuals within the unit. So he'd say to me, right, go and take the two fullbacks. I want you to work on them doing blah, 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 right? Mm. Then take the back four and tell me, are they doing it right? So I was putting all the individual learning plans together for them. And then I was doing a development action plan to go and deliver the sessions to go and help them become better players. So I was doing two, two days a week there. And then three days a week, I was out on the road doing all the recruitment. Yeah. That was the perfect job. That's, so that's the job really for you. Yeah, that's what I enjoyed. So a little bit of coaching, along with going out and I didn't. And I've always had a good eye for players. Yeah. And you know, you look at, you know, players that you obviously don't know about. You know, I mean, you know, we took Ross Barkley in at Sheffield Wednesday. We took Connor Wickham. You know, Connor Wickham went down to Sheffield Wednesday's best ever, you know, um, loan signing. Yeah. You know, but it was me that put the ILPs together for you know. For the coaches to deliver, I had an eye. I had an eye for the players, and that's why I felt if you, if I could have got to a chairman that would have allowed me to go and build a side, to go and put together a side, to go and compete in in the division that we were in. Yeah. I always felt that I could put a team together that would compete. You know, I played a big part in you know bringing the players in under Danny. Yeah. So it proved the point. Why do you think? Uh... It hasn't happened as much as you would like for yourself, given your track record. It's not what you know, it's who you know now. The game has gone now. The game has gone. You know, these young, hungry coaches, brilliant, like the Cowley brothers. Yeah. A right pair of tits, but good at what they do. Good at what they do, and good luck to. But what these other, you know, these laptop Larrys, I call them, they go in... And they do a presentation and they show the board how to beat Barcelona in a PowerPoint presentation. Yeah. It's fucking, it's unbelievable. Dave Jones can't get an interview. He's had four promotions. He got manager of the year in the Premier Division, FA Cup final. Yeah. And he can't get an interview. His last job, Sheffield Wednesday, promoted. Nicked the spot off of Sheffield United. Can't get an interview. Do you not? Do you not think football say, football saying that that time has changed now? The Dave Joneses of the world are now dated. So clearly, you wouldn't agree with that. No, I wouldn't because now Fulham, Yukanovic is under pressure. Yeah. Who are they all calling for to get the job? Allardyce probably. Uh, Sam Allardyce. <laughs> well, have a look at Sam Allardyce's um, CV and look at Dave Joneses. Yeah. yeah. The current Swindon setup are all are all graduates of Sam Allardyce, I would say. Uh, yeah, fucking flying, ain't they? Well, they, there you go. You know, you know, you got. It's all about friends and friends. No, look, they're not employing the best people for the jobs. They're just employing their fucking mates, and and they wonder why they're in trouble. Frightening, unbelievable. I've got no sympathy for them. You know, I don't know what the situation is down there, but I'll tell you one thing. Jeremy Ray would go back to Swindon tomorrow. 100%. What, as owner or just as chairman to sort out? Chairman. Yeah. But he's got backers and everything else, but he's got no interest at the moment. He would have done If he'd have done it 12 months ago, he'd have taken Swindon back. Absolutely 100%. Wow. I just want to see him do well because, you know, they're, they're a club close to my heart as well. You know, I had four and a half good years there. I really, 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 really enjoyed it. Great club. Love the club. Still got a lot of friends there. Same old faces are working there. 
you know, same groundsman, the punters. You know, do you know Dean Mackin? Yeah, Dean Mackin, yeah, I know him. I know I've, I've met Dean a few times, yeah. Well, you know how me and Dean met? No, tell me. We had a row on Facebook. Oh, you invited him round, didn't you? And I said to him, well, come down the fucking training ground and see me face to face, blah, 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 and we'll fucking sort it out. You know where the training ground is. I think he had a go about Kevin Amanko or something like that. Yeah. Anyway, I'll give him his due. He came up. We got face to face. We've now become good mates. Because you're really up, good mates. Because of that upfront nature of the, you know, there's not hype no, behind. No, he, he said what he needed to say. But I said to him, you don't have to say it sitting behind a computer in your wife fronts <laughs> in the attic. And Mum's calling you. Your dinner's ready. Come down. There. I said, you know. But we got together, and now we've become good mates. Rich, Swindon Town is no different to any no, other club. Not at all. Not at all. When they're down the bottom of the league and the only time you look like your top is when you read papers upside down, yeah. they vent their anger the only way they know how. Every club in the country, look at Man United. You know, they're fucking absolutely terrorising Mourinho. Yeah. So, you know, it happens at the top and it'll happen from now long after we've gone. Long after we've gone. Well, David, that was a fantastic conversation, vivid and honest and everything that I want from an interviewee, but we'll, we'll leave it at that. David, okay, mate. David, thank you very much. That was amazing. My pleasure, mate. Speak soon. Stay in touch. Good run by him and now The Low Strangers is an independent Swindon Town fan podcast. The music was expertly created by Matthew Kilford and the podcast artwork is by the super talented John Daglish. Thanks for listening. Come on, Swindon. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However... When it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hi, Ellis Pod fans, it's JR here. If Swindon players were McDonald's items, who would they be? We've had lots of Big Macs, like the legendary Alan McLaughlin, Harry McCurdy, or even Steve McMahon. Perhaps you'd prefer to channel the power of McPlant, like Darren Ward, or maybe five chicken selects, one to enjoy for each time Ben Gladwin joined. Yep, there's one spare, but there's still time. And you don't need super scouts or data solutions to get your hands on any of these. McDelivery through the McDonald's app brings them all to you. At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.